And we are just finishing up today our series on the Beatitudes. So one more time. Well, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, and let's say together one more time, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is the reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God, I always bless the reading of God's holy word. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed are you when people insult you. When. That's a conjunction. We gotta do a little grammar. How many of you remember Schoolhouse Rock? Remember that? Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up words and, you know, and phrases and clauses, you know. As you can discover with a little internet search, a conjunction is all about joining things together. In this case, Jesus, in the English translation of the Greek here, the words uttered by Jesus, Aramaic, um, the word in English, when, connects conjunctively, when you are insulted, you're blessed. Blessed when you are insulted. That is counterintuitive to say the least, isn't it? Now, the blessings in the midst of persecution and insults uh, sometimes they do happen in a really obvious way. There's the story I heard years ago at a missions conference in Vancouver of a guy who was imprisoned for his faith in his country, not this one, a country overseas. And the authorities, after imprisoning him, brought in a big old dog in order to intimidate him. I think he said it was one of those German shepherds. Well, as the guy told the story, it turned out that when the dog was brought in, something totally unexpected happened. This big, burly, scary dog, instead of snarling at him, just walked up to the arrested Christian and licked his face. Now, I think it's safe to say that this guy rejoiced and was glad and felt blessed, even in the midst of being persecuted. It shows that God is sovereign over even the scariest of doggos, right? So sometimes the blessing comes in the form of deliverance. Sometimes we're delivered, and that's the blessing. More often than that, though, I think the blessing comes in the form of not deliverance, but endurance of persecution and insults. 
You can Google it and find that from the Pew Research Foundation, you can get an estimate that as of 2020, there are 2.38 billion, nearly 2.5 billion Christians out of a worldwide population of about 8 billion. But that hasn't come easily. As one Christian scholar pointed out, despite being associated largely with the early church, martyrdom and persecution have rarely been absent from church history. In the 20th century, the martyrdom and persecution statistics exploded. By the year 2000, this is a staggering figure, scholar points out, nearly 70 million Christians had been killed for their faith. Between the time of the founding of the church in Acts all the way up to 2,000, a staggering figure of nearly 70 million Christians killed for their faith, with 65% of them dying in the 20th century alone. Then, as the scholar points out, as the 21st century unfolded, an estimated 270 new Christian martyrs were produced every day for a total of one million martyrs within the first decade of the 21st century. Martyrdoms today continue to mount. In 1900, the average number of Christian martyrs per year was less than 35,000. The projected figure of martyrs, Christian martyrs, for the year 2025 is 210,000 Christian martyrs killed per year. We remember the persecuted church. Blessed are the persecuted, the Lord says. It's unlikely that any of us have ever faced or will ever face anything like that. Often it'll be more subtle. I remember, I think it was my first wedding service. It was at Penn State University. I was just starting out as a pastor and The bride and the groom and I are friends to this day. They were wonderful. But another person at this wedding mocked the way I prayed. Ugh. The Lord helped me be gracious. But I can't say I felt blessed by that. And I can't say that I rejoiced about it, right? Now that stuff, that kind of stuff is certainly nothing compared to what we just talked about. Nothing compared to what Christians in hostile countries face today. Nothing compared to that. But it's not nothing in general, right? You know what I mean. I wonder about you. Have you ever had someone mock you for your faith? We can keep it in a global perspective for sure, but it doesn't mean it's, it's not nothing to us. Jesus is clear, and this we have to really point out, if you probably realize this, but When Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted, blessed are you when people insult you, he says, persecuted because of righteousness, insult you because of me, okay? He's not talking about if you yell too loud at a football game and disturb somebody and you get insulted. That's not covered by the blessing, although God still loves you. This is about being persecuted for our faith and for actions reflecting our Christian faith. Scholar R.T. France points out that the phrase persecuted because of righteousness, the word righteousness in that phrase is about more than just being good. 
It's about a whole life orientation toward God and God's will. Such a life, Dr. Franz says, is conspicuous and it's gonna attract persecution. It'll attract, like honey, it'll attract people for its sweetness too, for sure. There'll be a positive. But Jesus is a realist here too. He's saying, you're gonna take hits. How do you know if you're taking hits for being righteous? How can you tell if you're being persecuted for righteousness sake? Dr. Joe Bruner points out, there's no other way than by constantly checking our conduct with the word of God. <laughs> you gotta check it with the word. Are you believing and you behaving into the word and taking hits for that? And then you look at the word in company of evangelical Orthodox Catholic Christians down through the ages and we have a consensus about what the word, largely speaking about what the word calls us to believe, right? We have our disagreements and we have a large consensus. Check with that. If you're wondering, am I being persecuted for being a Christian? Use the, use the word understood by the wider Christian community as your check and filter through that. You'd think that doing the righteous thing ought to bring decent results, and many times that's so. But the Lord, again, is a realist. Do the righteous thing, the righteous thing, and you're also gonna take hits. Are you, are you taking hits? Are you surprised that you're taking hits? Persecution offends our sense of justice. Insults just aren't right. Ugh. But he says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I have to admit, if one of our kids came home and said that being Christ-like or expressing their faith got them insulted or got them persecuted, I admit that my first instinct would not be to rejoice and ask them to rejoice. Depending on the situation, I might be making a phone call, right? Now, that doesn't, doesn't mean there isn't a time to do that. But what Jesus declares here is that there's an invitation. Before we pick up the phone or wanna strike back or wanna resist, it's not an either or, there's a time to stand up if your beloveds get persecuted or you see someone getting treated badly, for sure. But it's not an either or. Jesus also declares, we're blessed. And there's a call to rejoice. Before we want to pick up the phone or raise concerns or respond or react, don't skip the blessing. Remember that you are blessed and that is a place, Jesus says, to rejoice. If you miss that, it's actually a pretty big miss, it turns out. Because we'll miss the blessing of the Lord. Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted for theirs is the kingdom. If we don't hear that before we react, we'll miss the fact that we belong. Even though that bad persecution stuff doesn't belong, we still belong to a God who loves us and calls us to his domain. We have status. Whoever else is trying to knock us down. So receive the blessing of being in the status, of being people of the kingdom, of having that status. You want to receive, you and I need to receive that blessing, especially when we get hit. Remember who you are and whose you are. And then he says, 
For in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. So we, so we looked ahead to our kingdom status and the blessing of that, that we belong now, will belong forever to the kingdom. And we look behind us to those who have gone before us. And we remember that they too have taken hits. You know what that does? That just connects us. That solidifies our, our, our grounds us. It solidifies the ground we stand on. We belong and we're connected, even in taking hits. If we rush past the blessing and past the rejoicing that Jesus calls us to, we'll miss out on something pretty big. Consider as well how the blessing in the midst of our persecution helps us minister to our persecutors. You know, given the whole of Jesus' life and his call on ours, there's simply no way to see the blessing here in the midst of persecution as just a blessing to go withdraw and cover our heads on the couch, eat a potato chip and just shake. There's a place for that. We all have those moments, you know, where you're tired, right? But it's never only that. We're blessed in our persecutions and insults, not just us go home and, and nurse our wounds. Of course, you do that. Like I said, there's a place for rest. But we're blessed to be a blessing, we're blessed in our persecution in order to bless our persecutors. We're blessed as we're insulted in order to bless our insulters. Whoa. Verse 43, just a few verses ahead, this is where Jesus takes us. You have heard it, you have heard that it was said, he says just a few verses later, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Greek here for perfect means be perfectly mature. This is next level. This is not merely Jesus giving us a winning strategy to beat back the baddies at their own game. This is Jesus changing the game. This is not Jesus just giving us power for victory on how we can one-up our insulters. They hit hard, we hit harder. No, this is Jesus transforming the very idea of power itself. This is not Jesus telling us how to win the crowd. This is Jesus calling us to an audience of one, our heavenly father, the living, loving God of the universe who chooses to love wait for it, the cosmos, everybody, even our persecutors and insulters. Well, this is the blessing that helps us take a hit and get back up. Take it and get back up. You watch football, you watch the sidelines, you know, people, get, people get knocked off to the side and then they're, then they're colleagues will often push them right back in or you'll see somebody reach out and pick them right back up. This is what the blessing does. It gets us back up, gets us in the game. Blessed are you when people persecute you. Blessed are you when people insult you, rejoice. Get up, get back up. Take the blessing. 
the Beatitudes invite us into that blessing, but they also declare to us how much we need it. Dale Bruner and others have observed the insight about the Sermon on the Mount, this whole Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest ethical teaching ever given, right? You read this, what I, what I just read to you. Love your enemies. Love your enemies? Uh, I was talking to a church member this morning. He was saying, isn't that impossible? I said, yeah. Yeah, it is. The, the ethics of Jesus here are impossible in, a human, in a human, human terms. What Bruner says, and others have observed, when you try to follow this out, every command, everything, everything that Jesus asks us to do in the Beatitudes sends us back to these blessings. The very first one being, blessed are the poor in spirit. You and I don't have it. We take a hit. We're gonna just wanna, oh, I'm out, I'm done. Get up, receive the blessing. And that's what we do at church. We help each other up and we remind each other of the blessing. We give empathy, we give support, we, we, we support each other, we wipe each other, our wounds off and, and he help each other bandage up, metaphorically, hopefully not literally, but we also remind each other of the blessing of God in the midst of it and we remind each other that we have something to rejoice in, in our connectedness with the future kingdom and our connectedness with the past. Well, this is a beautiful summary from Bruner of the whole Beatitudes. He says, the first seven Beatitudes, in them we see Jesus's blessings lifting people up from the death valley of poverty, grief, powerlessness, and injustice, and then sending people out just as dramatically into the breadth and width of a worldwide mercy, blessed are the merciful, purity, blessed are the pure in heart, and peacemaking, blessed are the peacemakers. But now, Bruner says, when the faithful really get into the world, they immediately get into trouble and the world puts them down again. We're back where we started, persecuted, knocked down, wiped out. Yet even here, Bruner says, Jesus introduces a measure of the resurrection up. Rejoice, be thrilled, he says. He commands that, by the way. Rejoice. That's not, it doesn't sound like a suggestion. It's a command. Joy is not only the experience, but also the duty of a Christian, Bruner says, quoting Bengal. In this world, as the cross will teach in the end, but as the Beatitudes teach already in the beginning, defeat, not victory, is often the mark of the messianic. We serve a crucified Messiah. That's unique. That's not Islam. That's not Muhammad. That's not Buddhism. That's not Confucius. That's not Joseph Smith, the Mormons. That's Jesus, a leader who's crucified, not a conquering ruler who promulgated laws, not a, a, a person trying to avoid suffering by transcending the reality of a lived experience. It's a very different situation. This is a God who came and lived in a human experience in the hardest human experience you can imagine and then died which is flat out offensive to certain other belief systems. But this is our gospel. This is our savior. This is how God does this. This is the trajectory of the Lord. So we ought not be surprised when we take hits, when we get knocked down. As we're moving with the one who took the greatest hit of all. 
I remember though being on a flight one time and there was turbulence. And you know, turbulence can be a little scary. And there happened to be a pilot who was flying with us. And I remember him sitting you know, across the road from me or whatever, I heard him turn to somebody as we're getting bounced around. And the pilot said, don't worry, this plane can take a lot more than we can. So it is with us in Christ. When you fly with Jesus and when you're in him, as the gospel invites us, you know the, the phrase in Christ is, is given over 90 times in the New Testament. So he's not just a moral example to follow. He's a person to have an intimate union relationship. They're called the mystica, mystica unio, the mystical union with Jesus. And it's our connection with him. We are in him and through him in the life, the divine life of the Trinity. That's where we fly. And that can take more than we can ever take. And the triune God, it turns out, in Jesus Christ has taken it all, even death itself. So it is with us in Christ. You and I, as Jesus warns us here, the flight path, the forecast, is a turbulent one. And we should not really be shocked by what's up ahead when we experience a bumpy ride. There will be a lot of things on this trajectory that will feel like, that will feel like defeat. And we have to be careful because the culture of winning or overcoming or victory around us may or may not, not that there won't be victories in life, there are a lot of them, but there will also be expectantly hard hits. And we should expect that. And in fact, we have a narrative for that. We have a gospel that even contains that. We have a gospel that can contain defeat. One way to deal with people from different religions is to find out, how does your religion handle defeat? How, what do you do when things don't work out? That's what I, you know, that, that's when it gets really interesting. Let me tell you about our God who came in the person of Jesus and how that handled it. He flew into it, right through it, rose through it. He, he lets us know You'll have turbulence too. In this world, you will have trouble. But fear not, I have overcome the world. So it is with us in Christ. When you fly with him, there'll be turbulence. But he's saying also, he gives the blessing. Lots of bumps, but also blessing. We're in him. He is risen. And we now know as we lift each other up, as we hold each other, as we encourage each other, as we work together to rejoice even in the midst of it, we do so because we know where this lands. May it be so for you and me in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen.